Well, good morning. I've got the opportunity to speak today due to uh, Pastor Mark and the staff will be going on a retreat. Pastor Mark uh, already left. He left yesterday, I think, right, Josh? And uh, so the staff will be joining him later this afternoon. Uh, if they are all going away, I, I, I'm not exactly sure. And even if I did know, I probably wouldn't say it just so you wouldn't crash their, their time away. Uh, but they are away, and uh, most of them will be uh, catching up with, that, with the staff um, probably this afternoon, evening. But did you know that October is a pretty, uh, pretty special month around the life of the church? October is known as Pastor Appreciation Month, and um, for uh, a pastor, if a pastor would stand up here and say, hey, it's Pastor Appreciation Month, uh, appreciate us, uh, it's, it's not as well received, and so since I'm not on staff and I'm not one of the pastors, I just have the opportunity to speak, I want to encourage you to encourage the pastors uh, this month. You have a few more days left in this month to do this. It can look like a card. It can look like a note. It can be a gift card. It can be something that, that you, whatever. Let your mind go with what you can do to appreciate, whether it's John with the teens, uh, Brian with the kids, Mark, Josh, uh, Mike, whoever you choose, maybe all of them, do something to show them that they're appreciated. I, I was a youth pastor for a long time, and one of my most prized things that I got during Pastor Appreciation Month, super simple, it was actually a crumpled up post-it note that actually came from my desk, and a teenager took it off my desk and wrote just simple two words, good job, and then left it in my office. And you know what I did with it? I framed it. I was like, this is, this is like the epitome. So I framed it, some bright orange, put it on my shelf. And anytime that I, I just thought that things weren't going my way, I could look up on the shelf and I could see somebody is appreciating the job that I'm doing. And so I just want to encourage you to, to the pastors on this staff who probably aren't going to stand up here and ask for it. I just want to encourage you to encourage them this month in, in a way that seems fit. And, and whatever you choose to do, I know it will be loved and appreciated, unless you're hating on them. Maybe they'll take that with a grain of salt, but don't do that. Uh, just, just appreciate them uh, for all of the, the time and effort that they do. And, and actually, uh, I think it was last weekend was Boss's Day. Cheryl, did, did they treat you well for Boss's Day? Because we, we all know that really you're the one who runs the show, and they all just do what you say. So uh, anyway, the staff is great here. I'm, I'm uh, just, we are all blessed, aren't we, just to be at a church uh, where we get fed really well week in and week out. Our kids are blessed, our teenagers are blessed, and that's a good church to be a part of. And if you are visiting, you haven't been here very long, you found a good home church to be at, and we're thankful that you're here this morning. But since Mark is away, he asked if I would speak, and, and I, I said yes. Uh, he said, you can go on with the theme of the faith, you know, the, the, the by faith series from Hebrews. And I said, you know what, I, I don't, I can if you want. He was like, just do your own thing. I'm like, okay, that's fine too. So this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about peace. We're going to be talking about peace. And, and I have to tell you that Typically, when, when somebody speaks about something like peace, you would, you would hope and assume that everything in their life has been good, and so they're preaching out of like the abundance and the overflow of peace that's happening in their home, right? Well, for me, the last several weeks, I just got to be honest, uh, it's, it's not been overly peaceful. My wife has been ill for three weeks now, going on four weeks, uh, just super duper weak, and uh, she hasn't... So, so our house, if you can imagine... Husbands, if your wife is down for like three weeks, 
it, it becomes pretty chaotic pretty quick because you quickly realize all the things that happen when you're not there and now you have to do them. So it's, it's not been horrible, but it's not been the most peaceful place. And so I'm, I'm coming to you this morning out of a reality of needing peace, wanting peace, desiring peace, desiring wellness. And I think that, that plays into uh, an avenue of peace in our homes. Uh, when things aren't perfect or the way that we've always had them, it's kind of chaotic, right? And so this morning we're going to talk about peace based on what Scripture says that peace is rather than our own outlook on what peace is. But... What does peace look like? I guess if we could look at it as what pictures might show, maybe peace looks like uh, the beach to you. Uh, anybody, your beach people, you, you love the beach, and that's like, you know, just sitting with your toes in the sand and hearing, you know, feeling the sun and hearing the waves crash around you, and it's peaceful. You hear that, that seagull out there calling, and it's just peaceful. Others of you, you're like, no, sand between my toes and the other places that sand gets, it's not peaceful for me. I don't want anything to do with that. Maybe that's, okay, so that's cool. Uh, some of you are beach people, some of you aren't. Maybe it looks like mountains. Maybe you, you would like to just get lost in the mountains, you, you, you know, this picture, you can, you can hear this picture, can't you? The wind kind of gently blowing through the pine trees, the birds chirping, calling, whatever, and, and really nothing else, right? Like it's just, it's peaceful. And, and when we think peace, we think peace and quiet, right? So these kind of go hand in hand, peace and quiet, something like, like this. Maybe it's not the beach, maybe it's not the mountains, maybe it's a cabin in the woods, not another person, no internet, uh, no, no, nothing to bother you. Uh, you really just, you, you, you enjoy food, taking walks, maybe, maybe sitting around a fire, whether it's inside, outside, whatever. Maybe, maybe this is, is peace to you. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're like, no way, I've got to be around people all the time. I, I, don't, I don't know what peace is for you, but maybe it's not this. Maybe it's uh, being out on the lake. Any, any, anybody like, like, boating being out on the lake. I love making memories out on the lake. Uh, I, I used to have a boat um, and I was told uh, that there are two, to the two f best days of boat ownership is the day you buy it and the day you sell it. Uh, and that's, that's pretty true, right? Uh, but really there's a lot of fun that can be had on the water, uh, but sometimes it's, it's not fun. Sometimes, you know, like I, I actually broke my nose pretty bad, had to have surgery. Uh, I was water skiing. And so like sometimes the piece isn't what we want it to be when we're out on the water, but sometimes this is, this is you, you know, peace comes when you're out on the lake with, uh, with the boat, with family, with whatever. Maybe it's not any of those, maybe peace to you looks like no kids. Anybody, anybody there? Like, you're like, man, when the kids are gone, right? It's, it's just peace. It's quiet. I don't, have, I don't have any responsibilities of little people that I have to take care of and make sure they don't die. It's, it's peaceful when, when there's no kids around. And, and we, you know, we like that. Maybe, maybe, you know, I understand there's, there's some, there's, we have a mixed generation in here. And I understand that some of you, your kids have been gone and you just love it when the family is back together. So maybe peace looks like everybody getting together. The family is in town. Everybody's together and we've got Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up. And maybe those are peaceful times for you. I asked my son the other day, I said, what is peace to you? And uh, he and I, we share some common things that we like. And, and he said, peace to me is sitting in a tree stand, Dad. So we love to hunt. And so him, he and I, it's just peace is sitting in the tree stand. I was like, great. I said, what's the opposite of peace to you? And he gives uh, the last name of people in our family. 
And I'm like, ooh, and he just smirks at me. And I know exactly what he means, and you know exactly what I mean, because there is a family in your family that when they show up, it's kind of like all of a sudden the volume goes up and things start breaking by themselves, it seems. And things are just not peaceful. They're, not, they're, they're anything but. They're, they're chaotic, right? And so for some of us, it's, it's not any of those places because we realize that if we put peace on a place, Ultimately, we have to come back from that place and we come back home and the chaos sets in. So maybe it isn't a place. Maybe for you, peace looks like, you know, you, you've got your mindset on, on a dollar amount when you know that if you make that money or you sell this thing or you get, you accomplish this, then then peace can happen for you. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's, you know, when, when you can lose the weight or you get a healthy report from the doctor or something that is causing trouble when that's resolved. Maybe then peace will come. So sometimes we don't put it on a place. We put it on a situation. When that situation comes about and, and resolves itself, maybe then that's when peace happens, right? So peace looks like a lot of different things. And I think we all seek out peace, we will all go to great lengths to ensure peace of our family. We'll go so far as, as buying a home with no neighbors within you know, a certain amount, whatever your criteria of footage is, that you don't see a neighbor, right? So some of us, like that's, that's, that's the lengths we will go to to ensure peace for our family. Well, there's no one else around us, right? Now, I was trying to think, okay, what, what, what is some, something that maybe you've seen movie-wise that you've seen that, that really uh, kind of embodies this whole chaos to peace thing? Anybody ever seen the movie What About Bob? You ever seen this movie? Okay, I think it's a, it's a, it's, it's a comedy classic. I think it's 1991. Uh, it, it's, it's hilarious, but it's frustratingly hilarious. Uh, because you got Bill Murray who plays Bob, uh, you got Richard Dreyfus who plays Dr. Leo Marvin. Uh, Dr. Leo Marvin is a very successful therapist. He's written a book. It's doing very well. Uh, it comes to this point where where we realize that Bob is one of Dr. Marvin's patients, and Dr. Marvin and his family are going to go on vacation to their lake house. And um, while they're at the lake house, there's going to be a TV crew that comes and interviews Dr. Leo Marvin about his book. And so the, the scene is set for like peaceful, tranquil, you know, at the lake house and this, this TV crew is going to show up. And lo and behold, Bob finds out where Dr. Marvin and his family are. And he shows up, takes a bus from the city, shows up in this little lake town and crashes their vacation. Bob befriends Dr. Marvin's wife and their, their two kids. Bob has no place to stay, and so Leo's wife says, well, why don't you just stay with us? You can stay with our son. And so now this crazy guy is sleeping in their son's room, and, and there's all kinds of hilarity that happens really in the movie. Do you remember the scene where, where they're eating dinner together? And Bob loves everything he's putting in his mouth. And there's, mmm, you remember this? And he's annoying Dr. Marvin to no end. Remember when he gets on the boat, he's afraid of water. He gets on the boat to go sailing. Remember how they, how they get him over his fear? Where they tie him to the mast of their sailboat. And Bob is, I'm sailing, I'm sailing. And in Dr. Marvin's book, it talks about baby steps, you know, making little strides. And so all the time, Bob is talking about baby steps. Well, 
Dr. Marvin, I mean, he's ticked off. He's frustrated. And, and Bob is driving him to the point of insanity. And all Dr. Marvin wants is peace and quiet for his family. And so this prominent man, one night, breaks into the general store in town, steals a shotgun and 20 pounds of explosives to take Bob through death therapy. Classic, classic movie. And I'm sure any, any of your friends ever said, hey, we should do vacation together. And somebody from the outside views this situation. You're telling them about, yeah, we're going to go on vacation with our friends. And they're like, are you nuts? Anybody? Okay, maybe that's not you. Maybe if you've gone on a, a cruise. I've been on a cruise, and you're like, man, this is going to be great. And then you realize you have to eat dinner with people you don't know. And you quickly realize that you're trapped on a boat with these people for the next five to seven days. And they annoy you. And it seems like your, your, your idea of peace has now been turned upside down. I think that's where Dr. Leo Marvin was. And he was willing to go great lengths, so much so to break into the store, steal a shotgun and 20 pounds of explosives to make sure the problem would go away. And I think really when we look at our lives, we're willing to go through great lengths to find and ensure peace for our situation, right? We're willing to go to great lengths to find peace. And I think if we, if we look at scripture, uh, we look at the way that Jesus did things, we look at what Jesus taught, I think we can see some very valuable things as far as what Jesus teaches about peace. And, and I think that we can see that, that Jesus himself went to great lengths to ensure that you and I could have peace. I think that Jesus was willing to do some crazy things just to ensure that you and I would have peace. So this morning, I want to look at something that, that uh, Jesus said. He shared some wisdom with his disciples before he died. And I want to look at John chapter 14, verses 23 through 27. And, and this is really where Jesus is, is kind of leaving these things to the disciples to help them to understand peace. And he says this, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love them or do, does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So Jesus is basically saying, hey, this whole thing, what I'm teaching you, what I'm telling you right now, these aren't, these aren't my words. This is, this is God the Father speaking to me, and I'm sharing his words with you. So he's, these aren't my words. These, are, these, these words belong to the Father. Verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you. And then he turns this around and he says, but the advocate, there's another one, there's another passage or version of scripture that says the counselor, but the advocate or the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So Jesus is teaching this in the moment to the disciples. They're hearing his voice say these things, but he says, look, one day I'm going to be gone, but you're going to have someone with you that will help you. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Peace. 
My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. I don't give as the world gives. Jesus understood that we needed something different, something that wouldn't fade away, something that wouldn't get lost as we, as we move, something that wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to show off by, oh, look at, look at what I got. That's the way the world gives, right? That's what we do. We give gifts of this thing. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to give you something that will be with you, not, not something that you can physically, tangibly have. I'm going to give you something that will just be in you. It will be a part of you. And he says, it's, it's this advocate. It's the Holy Spirit. So there are three things I think that we can see from this passage of Scripture and the life of Jesus that, that really kind of teach us about peace and tell us what peace looks like. And I think the first thing is that peace looks like obedience. Peace looks like obedience. I don't think we like this a lot because, I mean, when we get to be older and we get to be independent, we like making our own decision. We like doing what we want to do. We want to do it on our time frame. We want to do it when we, where we want. We, if we don't like that ice cream, we're going to go get, we're, gonna, we're willing to travel to go get what we want because we're adults and we can make the decision, right? So we don't like the idea necessarily. We don't like the idea of peace coming through obedience. But I think we have to look at these passages of Scripture to understand what Jesus meant by these things when he's, when he's talking about obedience. And I think we go a little bit before what we just read, and we got to look at John chapter 14, verse 15, and it says this, If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. That sounds a lot like what he says in this passage that we just read, verse 23 and 24, and, and, and chapter 14, it says, But Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them, make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear, as I said before, not, not my own. They're the fathers that have come through me. So what Jesus is teaching here to his disciples, these bunch of, of knuckleheaded guys, look, if you will just listen to what I've said, if you look at, at what we've been taught in the Old Testament with the law and the prophets, everything that they have said, if you'll listen to that and you'll obey that, there's peace to be had there. Now for us, it's like, okay, so Jesus is saying that to these guys that he was walking the face of the earth with, and we like to just let it into that, but what we forget about is the same peace that Jesus wanted them to have, the same teaching, the same instructions that Jesus wanted them to have, is free and available to us through his word. And so when Jesus said that to his disciples, basically what he's saying to you and to me is, hey, look, I'm speaking to you, but you just have to listen. And for you to listen, you have to be obedient to my word. And not just my word, you got to listen to what I'm saying to you. So when we pick this up and we begin to read all of the things that Jesus, that God the Father has, has put into play into this, this word, we start to uncover the life of peace that Jesus wants us, wants us to have. And it really starts with obedience. So in my mind, if you're looking for peace based on Scripture, it looks like obeying the teaching of Jesus. Now, as parents, as parents, that's like the first the first lesson that we teach our kids, right, is obedience. Before they can walk, before they can talk, it's yes, no, stop, don't. Like we use those words as far as teaching and instructing what they can have, what they can do. And when they begin to walk and the very first thing that they do when you're cooking dinner, moms, and that handle that's so convenient right on front of the stove, they end up pulling themselves up there to reach for that hot burner. And what do you do? You're trying to teach them to be obedient 
and not burn themselves. Now, as, as parents, the beautiful thing is here, as parents, we see things that we don't want them to do or that we want them to do that's going to keep them safe. It's going to keep them from harm, right? But when we look at the, the, the teachings of Jesus, the things that he's saying, that if you love me, you're going to obey, obey my teaching. Those things that he's teaching us, it's because even as adults, he sees our life from a different perspective. And he's like, hey, if you'll just obey what I've given you in my word, the commands that I've given you, don't you understand your life is going to be a whole lot more peaceful? So when we look at those things, what we teach to our kids, it's the very thing that God is trying to teach to us over and over and over again. If we want to live a life of peace, it starts with obedience. Now, as a parent, our two boys, uh, we've, we've said that there are two things that they can do that will keep them from being in trouble ever again. Two simple things. These two things will keep them from getting grounded, keep things from being taken from them, keep, keep them from getting spankings, whatever the consequence. Of, if they will just do two things, they'll never get in trouble ever, 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 ever again. Do you know what those two things are? Listen and obey, right? So if, if that's our instruction to all of our kids, now you have said those exact same things. All you need to do is listen and obey. It'll keep you from getting in trouble. I'll, I will stop having to yell at you if you will just listen and obey, right? And as parents, we get tired of, of yelling those same things over and over and over again. Don't you think God gets tired of that too? When we just fall to the same things that we've done over and over. He's like, look, all you have to do is pick it up Listen to it and obey it. Peace will follow. See, what I, what I think we should understand is that obeying his teaching equals a relationship. So when we obey the teachings of God the Father or Jesus, when we obey those teachings, we have that relationship and it's a right relationship. And we're in a, when we are in a right relationship with him, peace follows. So it all stems from obedience, right? And as parents, we know that all too well, that obedience brings about peace. So first thing, peace looks like obedience. I think the second thing that we can say that peace looks like is peace looks like faithfulness. Now, Pastor Mark uh, has done a great job of kind of breaking down Hebrews chapter 11 over the past like nine or 10 weeks or, or whatnot. And he, you know, has done a great job telling us like, uh, you know, by faith, so-and-so, by faith, they did this, by faith, and, and it's, un, it's important to understand their, these you know, characters in Scripture, how they lived out a faithful lifestyle as to what they were called to do, right? But if peace looks like faithfulness, I think it's important to see what happens right after the book of, of Hebrews chapter 11 when we look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 3. Everybody knows this. But this is what it says, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, entangles us. And let us, run the, uh, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So what Jesus is saying is, or what, what's being written here by Paul, is he's saying, look, all these people that have ran this race of faithfulness, you're now surrounded by them. And they are cheering you on to live a life of faithfulness. God is calling you. You're being cheered on by all of these other people that have gone on before, and it goes on. And it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Other versions of Scripture will say the author, 
of our faith. The pioneer, the person who goes before. So Jesus has lived this life already, right? That's what Paul is saying here. He's already gone before us. He's lived it. He's modeled it. And he's the perfecter of our faith. For, now check this out. Think about this in light of faithfulness. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He laughed at the shame of the cross and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from the hands of sinners. Consider this man, Jesus, who endured all of these things that he did not have to endure. He could have called down a whole host of heavenly angels to take him away from what he was about to be faced with from these sinful men, and he endured it. So think about all these things so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So think about all these things and be faithful for what God is calling you to. That's what Paul's saying here. Hey, in light of all of this, this great cloud of witness, these people that have gone before, that have lived this life, and they finished well, they lived a life of faithfulness. Did they mess up? Yes, but there, it was attributed to them as faithfulness through the book of Hebrews, and we've learned about that. But really, I think peace looks like faithfulness as well. And when we look at the things in Jesus' life, the things that he faced, the way that he faced these things, he, did them, he, he faced them faithfully. As I said, he could have just like, nope, I don't want to do this, called and wiped it away, or, or you know, just, you know, I don't know, teleported to something else. He could have, whatever. Jesus could have done whatever he wanted to do to get out of the situation that he was in, but yet he lived a peaceful life by faithfully following after what God the Father had called him to do. And let me just, as a side note, can I just say thank you, Jesus, for facing the cross for me. Thank you for facing the cross for my sins. I, none of us in this room are worthy of the faithfulness that Jesus faced and lived out to endure the cross. None of us. But I'm so thankful that his faithfulness and how everything that he faced in his life, he desired to do it in a faithful way to bring about peace. Now, I don't know about you, but when we live in our daily life, there's things that we face every day that really aren't the most peaceful, right? So men, I want you to think with me because I've experienced this before. And if I've experienced, I'm sure if you're married and, and you have kids, uh, you, you may have experienced this. Men, you, you've, you've had a pretty decent day at work. Things seem great. Your wife has been home with the kids and uh, you're, you've got your drive home and you're kind of like decompressing. It's great. And you, you get home and, and you like open the door and you hear like screams from your wife to your kids. And it is like you think that somebody is dying in there and somebody hasn't listened to mom all day and you're just like, nope, not ready for that. And you, you step out because you're just like, listen, listen, that's not the piece I wanted to come home to and my kids really messed it up for me. I've been there, Right. And when things like that happen, when we face things that just, just drive us nuts, there are things, and, and then things get compounded, right? So the kids don't listen. And dads, I know that these things happen to you. You've, you've had a, a hard day at work. You come home. Uh, maybe things are fine with the kids, but your wife, like the first thing, she says, hi, how are you? You're like, what happened? She's like, washing machine's broken. You're like, oh, I got to deal with something else today, you know? Like, it's hard to be peace in those situations, it's hard not to walk in and just want to like punt the front of your washing machine, isn't it? Okay, that's not peace. 
But I think when we look at the life of Jesus, everything that Jesus faced with the cross, like he knew the end result. I want you to understand that. Jesus knew the end result of his life would look like him being nailed to the cross. And so when he dealt with all of these ridiculous 12 guys that he had to deal with and the things that he had to repeat, and like when they finally got it, he was like, finally, you know? Like Jesus understood that all of the stuff that he was dealing with currently was going to lead him to the, cro- to the cross, and yet he faced everything that he did faithfully and out of peace. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait a second. Peace doesn't look like Jesus flipping some tables in some temple. So if Jesus got mad, I can toss some tables, right? All right, but you have to understand, when, when you use that, and how many of you have been guilty of using that, that idea, that metaphor before, right? Jesus tossed tables, I'm going to. You have to understand why Jesus got mad. You know why he got mad? He walks into the temple that is supposed to be a house of prayer. And they had turned it into a shopping mall. They were selling things. And Jesus is like, don't y'all get it? The way that my father said that this house, this temple should be, you have taken it farthest, the farthest thing from this, and you're turning it into something that it should not be. And so Jesus got mad for the right reason. And so even though Jesus tossed tables, he was doing it because He wanted these people to understand that the temple was supposed to be a house of prayer and of peace. And they were turning it into anything they could make a dollar on, selling these animals to be sacrificed. That's not what God intended. And so when Jesus lived his life, he lived everything out so that we could see, look, we have the right to be upset when things aren't going the way that he taught us to live. And so if all we will do is listen to the instruction of God the Father, we'll understand that peace looks like obedience, peace looks like faithfulness. And I think the third thing that we can see is that peace looks like the Holy Spirit. Now, obedience and faithfulness, I I think those are easy things to kind of paint a picture for. And you can look at something and say, yeah, I get that. I get what obedience, I get what faithfulness looks like. We've talked about that for the past nine or ten weeks. But really, how do you paint a picture for what the Holy Spirit looks like? Like, nobody knows what the Holy Spirit looks like. Jesus just said he would send him. His counselor, this Holy Spirit would be with us, right? So it's hard to paint the picture as to what the Holy Spirit looks like. And even though he said he would send it to us, I think Galatians helps paint the picture as to what the Spirit looks like in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. And it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Okay, so we've all heard this. We know this passage, right? If you've been around the church pretty much any time of your life, you, you've heard this. And it's one thing to be told this. It's another thing for you to speak this. So what I want to do is I want you to be reminded that what the Holy Spirit looks like and what he desires for us is when it talks about the fruit, if we're the tree, this is the kind of fruit we're supposed to be bearing. It's not the fruit that, you know, it's not an apple, it's not an orange, it's not that fruit. It's the things that the, the, the Holy Spirit, when, when he lives within us, this is the fruit 
that we should have. And it's one thing to hear. It's another thing to read it. It's another thing to say it out loud. And so I want all of you to be reminded of what the fruit of the Spirit looks like by reciting it out loud all together. And it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is Don't forget this last part. There's no limitation to those things. So when, when we are obedient, when we are faithful, and the Holy Spirit becomes the biggest part of who we need to be, guess what? There's no limitation to love those around us who don't see eye to eye with us and we don't see eye. There, there's no limitations to those things if the Holy Spirit is bearing fruit in our lives. There, there's no limitation to joy. There's no limitation to peace. Nobody's putting a law on, hey, you have to stop being joyful. Can't do that. I, was, I told this story in, in first service. Uh, I, if you know my dad, you'll understand this a little bit better. But my father and I uh, are similar on some ways. And, and so I was on staff with him for about seven years. I was a youth pastor at his church. And I had a youth worker that his wife was going to have surgery. And so my dad and I said, let's go visit them before she goes into surgery. So we go into the pre-op room. And if you know anything about a pre-op room, it's really not a room. It's just this little space that they pull these curtains around so that you're not completely embarrassed uh, by wearing that ridiculous gown that they make you wear. And so my dad and I go in. And this lady's name is Joy. And her husband's name is Jeff, and she's getting ready to have the surgery. So our goal was to go in there and, and pray with her. But she was the epitome of her name. She was joyful, laughing. And so when, when you get my dad in those situations, those of you that know him, it's, when, when somebody else is joyful, he just, it's like it, it feeds, he feeds off of it, and it can sometimes get out of control. And so for the first time in my life, we were just about kicked out of the hospital for being too joyful with this woman who was getting ready to have surgery. This attendant comes in and he's like, hey, you guys are going to have to quiet down. And we thought that he was joking. And so we're like, we crack jokes. And he's like, I'm serious. I'm going to have to ask you to leave. I will escort you out. And I was like, whoa, we're getting kicked out of here for making somebody laugh? This is a first. So I say there's no law. There might be somebody that wants to, you know, throw a little water on your joyful fire or something. But there's no law. Like when we have the fruit of the Spirit, nobody's putting the cap on how much Holy Spirit can, can be evident in our lives. Nobody can do that. Why? Because love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we're living a peaceful life and we're being obedient to his teaching and we're, we're faithfully following after what he wants us to do, these things are just, they're just there. They permeate who we are. Anybody ever bought anything big, house, uh, car, you made a big business decision, and there were some regrets to that? Anybody ever done that? I don't want you to ask, raise your hand. Maybe, you know, your, your big decision was uh, something that somebody else in this room is involved with. I don't know. But if we're told that, that the counselor, our advocate, the Holy Spirit will be with us, and you had some regrets, did you pray? Did you ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom on those things before you ventured in that way? Far too often, we forget the fact that Jesus himself said, hey, the counselor is going to be with you. And we just expect him to show up. We expect him to give us the reason. We expect him to give us the decision. We expect him to give us the... 
But when we don't call upon him, how can we involve him? How can we think we're going to be successful, we're going to live a life of peace if we're making the biggest decisions without him? See, when the, when the advocate, when the, when the counselor is with us and we make those decisions, we have to realize that he's there to help us. He's not there to smack us down. He's not there to, to kill our joy. He wants the best for us. And he wants the most peace in our life. And if we make a bad decision on something without involving him, that's on us. Right? We've made that decision to exclude the Holy Spirit in what's happening. And really, if we had just asked, we'd save ourselves a whole lot of headache when we just ask, do you want me to do this? Should, should I go this way? Should we make this purchase? Should I marry that person? How much different our lives would be if we would just involve the Holy Spirit, if we would just involve the counselor? Do we need more evidence that Jesus knew we would need peace? I think we do. I think Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 through 18 is, is a great reminder that we were meant to have and live a peaceful life by, by this. It says, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. Now let me just pause this really quickly. What you have to understand is these two groups are Jews and Gentiles. What you have to understand about the Jews is they were supposed to be God's chosen people. They were supposed to be the ones that Jesus was coming to the face of the earth to reconcile. That's what everybody thought. But when Jesus came, what he did was he really flipped this whole idea of chosen and not chosen. And he says, no. He says, if you understand my teaching, you'll live with me. You'll, you'll obey what I'm saying. You'll, you'll be faithful in this. You're part of the family, right? But what Jesus also said is, hey, those people that you don't want anything to do with, that you're not even willing to go through their town, you'll walk four, five, six, eight miles around their town just to avoid them. He's like, they're part of this too. And so what he says, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, the Jew and the Gentile, one. And he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, this thing that we put up as human beings between those people we don't like, those non-Christians who would never come to church. We put up this wall of hostility between them. And, he, and Jesus is like, look, I've come for something much greater than just you. Setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. So he set that stuff aside. He didn't, he didn't throw it in the trash can. He kind of set that aside to say, look, it's not just about these words on a, on a stone tablet. It's about, hey, look at the lifestyle I'm living. I, I, want, I want you to experience peace. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, thus making peace. Do you understand this is Jesus' whole goal here and what he was trying to do was take the Jews, take the Gentiles and say, look, I love you. I want you to live at peace with one another and if you would just stop being stupid about stuff, you guys would be able to have the most peace ever because, hey, you're both enveloped into the fold of my Father and I want you to have peace, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through what? Through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So you understand that. Think about the wording here. He took the cross that was made for hostility and he put that to death by, by going to the cross. That, that's powerful. If you just take just a minute to just let that soak in. If we had more time, I would, but we don't, so I'm gonna keep going. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away 
Praise God, he preached peace to me. Praise the Lord, he preached peace to me. And praise the Lord, he preached peace to you who were near. For through him, we both, those who were far and those who were near, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So he preached peace. I could have quit with verse 14. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Not the American government. Understand this. This is much bigger than the elections. This is much bigger than one person. The government, the whole happenings of the earth are going to be on the shoulders of Jesus. This is, this is the portrayal. This is before Jesus ever walked the face of the earth. Understand that. This is talking about Jesus will come and his, the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says this, you will keep in perfect peace those who mind, whose minds are steadfast because they trust you. So what is this saying here? It's, it's, it's all about peace. It's all about what God wanted. God was trying to take the sin that destroyed his relationship with humanity, and he's trying to reconcile that through his son Jesus to bring about peace. Peace. See, when we bear the fruit of the Spirit, peace shows up in our chaos. You ever seen somebody that's, that's just been in chaos and, and you're like, I, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how. They're so cool. It seems like they're... You ever seen a duck swim on the water? They look so peaceful, but their little legs... That's, sometimes that's, that's like the perfect idea, the perfect picture of somebody living peace in chaos. It seems like everything around them, they're, they're just cool and calm and collected. But I have a friend who, who really just taught me this lesson of, of peace coming through chaos. He's a friend of mine. He's a worship leader, and I was on staff at a church in Mount Vernon, Ohio. And, and um, Sean uh, is his name. Elizabeth is his wife. They got married later in life, and, and I think their first child was due in her 30s, I believe. And perfect, uh, perfect you know, pregnancy, uh, everything was going great. And it was the week of Easter. I believe it was Good Friday. And she wakes up that morning and doesn't feel any movement from the baby. One week to the due date. And so she calls Sean. Sean says, go to the doctor. The doctor then sent her to the hospital, of which they gave her the news that the baby had died. And so on Good Friday, we gathered as a staff. We gathered to pray for Sean, for Elizabeth, for the circumstance, the situation. We planned out the Good Friday service, which was the darkest Good Friday service I had ever experienced in my life. And immediately after the service was over, uh, the pastor, his wife, myself, and my wife packed in a car, and we drove to the hospital. I don't remember a conversation in the car happening at all the way down to, uh, to Columbus to the hospital. We get out of the car, take the elevator up, get onto the floor, and we go into the room. And it was, I don't remember any conversation. I just remember a lot of tears, a lot of hugging, a lot of trying to console, you know, Elizabeth and Sean. And I'm not a crier. I think in 19 years of marriage, my wife has seen me cry twice, and this is one of them. Uh, and, and I'm standing there. And, and, you know, like, for the first time in my life, I, I think I was speechless. I, I, didn't, I didn't have anything positive that I could say that's going to make the situation better. 
And so I'm standing there, I'm crying. I hug Elizabeth and I hug Sean and they're surrounded by their family. And Sean looks at me. It was, we're kind of standing off to the side of the room. He looks at me and he says, do you want to see him? I said, sure, Sean, I love to see your son. And up until this point, Elizabeth had not even held the baby. It was just, as you can imagine, having to give birth is just, just horrible. And so we go into this, we walk out of the room, go down the hall, go into another birthing room. And under kind of like one of those heat lamps, there's this perfect looking little baby boy. They had prepared a, a, a room for him in their home. His name was Jackson. It was up on the wall. They had the decorations, everything that you would want in, in a house. And just preparing for what was supposed to be a peaceful, joyful time is now chaotic. And I'm standing in this room with Sean. I'm, I'm crying. And Sean looks at me and he says, do you want to hold him? I said, Sean, I, I, can't, I can't hold him. I said, if, if Elizabeth had a... I, I can't hold him before she would hold him. And I'm, I'm crying. And I, you know what? I just, I just hugged Sean. And, and I hugged him and I said, I'm so sorry, Sean. And you, you, know what, you know what Sean said to me? He said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit showing up in a chaotic moment, folks. And the only thing that can be explained about that is Jesus. The only thing that can, you go into anybody in another, in that situation that does not know Jesus, there's no peace in that situation, is there? There's no peace in those situations. But see, when we have that relationship, when we have that obedience and that faithfulness and, and the fruit of the Spirit within our lives, peace can be evident in our chaos. It doesn't have to turn out the way that we want it to, but what, what Sean and Elizabeth learned later was that there were going to be three other healthy babies that they would give birth to and raise. And God taught them something, and maybe he's still teaching Sean Elizabeth something through the loss of their first son. But I think in some weird way, the Holy Spirit likes to be evident in our chaos if we will allow him. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30 says this, Come to me, all you who are weary. You're tired You've tried it. It doesn't work that way. Jesus says, I got it for you. Just come to me. And this sounds heavy. I want you to understand this. You are weary and burdened, and I will give you, where it says rest, just put peace there. And I will give you peace. Take my yoke. You know what the yoke is? Y'all ever been to a Cracker Barrel? You see that big wooden thing? It looks like the golden arches almost. It was used to put two oxen together so that they would work together to, to perform a single task. Jesus says, look, if you put my yoke upon you, and learn from me, be obedient to my word, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find what? Rest. You'll find peace, not just for your body, not just for your situation, but for your soul when we put on his yoke. For my yoke is easy. My teaching is easy. The things that I want you to have, it's easy. And, and what? The burden is light. And I think when we see those things and we can see the evidence of those things, the, the evidence of the Holy Spirit, it looks like the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This morning, I just, I just want to, I just want to know, has he been your peace I mean, we're getting ready to go into, admittedly, the most chaotic seasons of our life. 
we're getting ready to go into Thanksgiving, and it's, it's not always about giving thanks, is it? And we're getting ready to go into Christmas and this whole idea of gift giving, and it can get heavy, and we can spend way too much money trying to make somebody else happy and peaceful. But has he been your peace? And if you don't know Jesus today, can I just introduce you to the most peaceful, peace-giving person? Not just some story in, in Scripture. He's, he's real, and his peace transcends all understanding. And so can I ask you, has he been your peace? Can he be your peace? This morning, before we even come to the table and take the elements of communion, can we, can we just pause just for a moment to quiet ourselves and just say, God, I need your peace now. Not, not in a couple weeks. I need it now. I need it for something I've, I've been dealing with. I need it for something that's coming up. I need, I need your peace God, can you reveal to me, can we just stop and just, just pause for just a moment? And I want us to just, I want quiet to fall on this place. I want the Lord to speak however he wants to speak in your heart, to, to bring up things to you, to, to bring things to light in your life that you can do to really find his peace or to experience his peace. And then I think the most perfect thing to do to wrap up this service would be to take communion together. Because Jesus did this so that his, his disciples would know peace. And so I just want us to quiet just for a moment. And I just want you to seek out what, what peace God wants to impart to you this morning. And then let's quiet ourselves.